The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. All right, thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And tonight I am here with my special guest, Lori Armstrong. Lori, are you ready to share with some quality people? I sure am. All right, wonderful. Well, Lori, we love to start every show with getting our positive affirmations going with some great momentum here and would love if you could please share a favorite leadership quote or leadership mindset, but tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply that that mindset on a daily basis? I love, love, love this question, Jarvis. Um, This is my all-time favorite quote. You know, there's a lot of great motivational and inspirational quotes out there. But this one's, this one's my favorite. Your actions speak so loud. I can't hear what you're saying. I'm going to say it again. That's how important it is for everyone listening. Your actions speak so loud. I can't hear what you're saying. Ralph Waldo Emerson. And for me, having a, a career the last 20 out of 30 years as a leader, it just speaks volumes that actions speak words. When you're a leader actions matter. Behavior matters. So um, I typically try to squeeze that in on every every um, presentation I do, every meeting. It's really my mantra. So I, I love it because I was going to make the similar connection what you just said there, Lori, is that leadership is about action. Um, I've never heard that specific quote before, but I mean, that, that thing just rings with action and, and value as a leader. So um, perfect. I love that 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 mindset yeah. that we just kicked off. Well, I'm glad, and you know, we're especially as leaders. We know, as Disney says, we're always on stage, right? So people are looking at, it. and we focus a lot of time and energy on executive presence, how we look, how we sound, and that's really, really important. You need to be the whole package, right? So the way you look, the way you sound, important. However, if the actions don't align. If the, your actions don't align with what you're telling people, you're not a leader. You're not a leader. And, and people see through it very, very quickly, too. So. Yes, yes. Wonderful. See, I I know when I reach out and get the right folks to come onto this podcast, <laughs> it's, it's very clear cut, Lori. Thank you to get us started in that mindset. Um, let me move you to the next question. And this this part I'm really excited about because, Lori, we've been connected on LinkedIn for a short period of time. But the things that I've um, just kind of learned about you in our short history of being connected, super, super impressed. Love everything that I've seen you post or the things that I've learned about you and your growing business. Um, All right. So next question I have for you, Lori, would love if you could introduce yourself to our quality people, our audience of healthcare leaders, quality and process improvement professionals. But tell us a little bit about what you have going on, your professional background, And absolutely, what led you into this career path? Oh, I'm excited to talk about this because I'm so excited about the work that I'm currently doing. Um, You know, I all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I counted and the decades added up. I've been a nurse for just over 30 years and I I just can't believe. Um, And currently, I am the CEO and Chief Clinical Officer of Inspire Nurse. And I share with people that Inspire Nurse Leaders is all about helping leaders become their best by increasing their leadership capacity, their leadership capabilities, and their engagement to achieve great outcomes, not only for themselves, but for their patients. So growing leaders 
so that they could have more influence on patient and family outcomes. That's one of the reasons I was so excited to be on this podcast because of your audience, Jarvis. I mean, I just want to say they're my people, nurses, physicians, quality. I mean, we all, we're all together. We can't, we can't get the best outcomes if we're not collaborating. So I'm just thrilled about it. But I had very humble roots as a bedside clinical neonatal intensive care nurse um, for the first five years. And then I became a pediatric intensive care nurse. I crossed over to the dark side. Any of you listening, NICU people don't really always like PICU people. It's a crazy thing in hospitals, but it's pretty, pretty unanimous across the country. Um, And in the PICU is where I caught the leadership bug. You know, I learned very quickly the impact one bedside clinician, and in my case, a nurse, one bedside nurse could have on one family. And as I gained more experience and became a charge, realized that it wasn't just me influencing one pen family. It was me influencing the group of 10 or 20 staff I had on for the shift. And multiplying influence inspired me greatly. And over the years, during the next 20 years, gaining um, more and more experience and so honored and privileged to have um, expanded roles, director, And then I was a chief nursing officer for 12 years at top academic medical centers across the country. So I am, I'm just so thankful to be a nurse, to be a uh, nurse leader. Um, I was continually fascinated by the link between a nurse lead, a nurse or a nurse leader and patient and family outcomes. So when leaders are educated and trained and supported to do their very best, outcomes improve. I'm not a rocket science, Jarvis. When leaders are better, companies do better. When leaders are strong, outcomes improve. And we are not, yes, we all want a healthy bottom line for our organization. But when we as healthcare people get better outcomes, that means lives are changed. They're saved. And in fact, the evidence is very, very clear. When nurses at the bedside are being supported by their leaders across the hospital, outcomes are better. Infections are down. Mortality improves. I mean, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. So as I was a chief nurse um, for about 12 years, I decided I had this crazy notion that I wanted to work with leaders 100% of the time. Much like you, Jarvis, growing people to have the tools and skills to do an even better job impacting. So now I transition to owning my own company again, CEO and Chief Clinical Officer of Inspire Nurse Leaders. And I get to spend 100% of my time with nurse leaders, either through consulting or coaching. And I'm loving the coaching one-on-one and growing them as leaders. So that's so what I do. I, I love the story. Yeah, no, Lori, I love the story. I love the passion for leadership. Obviously, that I think that's that connection that drew me to a lot of things that I start, saw posting, you know, on right. your side. Um, let me let me go off script really quickly and kind of ask about these transitions, though, um, Lori. Going from a bedside nurse and into executive leadership through right. your career path, and then now going from executive leadership into this crazy thing called entrepreneurship. What have some of those transitions been like or, or even at least taught you about just that personal growth and that, that continuous cycle that you're on? Because, um, you know, recently I just had a very similar um, transition in my career. And I, I told someone it felt like I, you know, I, I worked my entire career to climb the corporate ladder and then I jumped off to, to really go 100%. <laughs> It was like jumping off one mountain and now I'm starting to climb another one. But I'm curious, what has any of those transitions just been like for you personally, for any of our audience members that are kind of in this space of, you know, different transitions in their career? Well, I think what I would share with everyone listening um, is something I try to live by is don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Um, Think, obviously, make informed decisions, obviously. Think about what's the worst case scenario? What's the worst case scenario? And typically when you're considering job transition, um, you know, the the biggest fear um, obviously is failure. 
And for me, I learned early, early on by a, a great mentor of mine, Dr. Barry Posner, that success and failure are inextricably linked. You're not going to su succeed. You're not going to progress unless you have some failures along the way. And that made a big difference in my career that as I looked at other opportunities, whether even in another state or in another specialty or in a broader role, um, you know, if you failed a little bit, you surrounded yourself with good people, your failure is really learning. And um, the best leaders are the best learners. And I tell you, Jarvis, I have learned a lot over the years because I've had my fair share of failures. And I always was able to brush myself off, get up and, and rise up to the next day. And, and it just, um, the one thing I will say when you were telling your story about you, your recent transition, the one thing I would, I would warn, warn people, because especially those of us in healthcare and healthcare leadership, we're high performers, you know, that A personality, right? So being an expert, is a result of a lot of hard work and a lot of study, right? And a lot of a lot of wins, a lot of successes. So when you go into something new, you go from expert and somebody laps you back down into being a novice. And yeah. you can tell yourself over and over again, oh, I'm, it's gonna be uncomfortable. Uh, I'm not gonna be an expert anymore. Sounds good, you can deal with it. But when you are living in that brand new novice world, oh my God, something physiological happens because it gets to your brain. It does a lot to ego, you know, but you have to keep reminding yourself you, you, you're starting as a novice and every day you gain experience, it should give you more confidence and, and the courage to keep going that next day. I don't want to get too philosophical on you, but knowing that when you're going, when you're knocked down into that whole um, novice phase, it means you're growing. And that's a great thing. Well, it, it's not philosophical at all because, Lori, what you just described has been like the last month of my life. So uh, <laughs> everything you said from just, you know, the general, right? It's first, you have to put yourself in a position to succeed or to fail slash learn. Yes. And, you know, great quotes out there. If you're not failing, you're not trying. I think that was maybe Albert Einstein. Right, Mike, right about the fact that the only reason he is Michael Jordan is because he took a lot of shots, right? And right. not went in, but I, I think those are great takeaways just for overall career momentum. You know, how do you put yourself out there? But then to the other part of just taking these huge transitions to leave corporate life or to do something, you know, like starting a business. Um, I am now at a point, Lori, where I'm looking for Every single day, I want to do something where there's a likelihood that I might fail. Like I'm literally seeking it out now. The the webinars that I was telling you that I'm running now. Yes. Um, I had one earlier this evening. We had 17 people on. And then the last one that I ran this evening, there were three people on. And so in my head, I was like, oh, it's only three people. But, you know, I have to show up for those three people just like I did for the 17. And so, well, um, yeah. Now, every t day now, I'm like looking for opportunity to say, I don't know if I can do this. That's what I want to try to tackle for the day. Yep, yep. And Jarvis, that is, that's really a, a demonstration of uh, your commitment, really. And I applaud that. I applaud that. And one thing I will share with you is you showed up for those people and you never, never realize the impact you have on just that one, that two, that one. third person. Bye. You know, they always say it starts with one and it's so true. And, you know, not that long ago, uh, probably about two months ago, I got a message on LinkedIn to, from somebody I wasn't connected with. They were trying to connect with me and they start, I have chills telling you this. I, I She wrote, you probably don't, but we had a one-on-one -on -one conversation. She said it was about five years ago and you inspired me to go back to school. And she was graduating with her uh, advanced degree. And, you know, I just had put my hand over my heart because you don't realize those moments with people. And as a leader, it just was another reminder when I opened up that LinkedIn message that um, we have an important role. And you showing up, Jarvis, you don't know what you inspired those people. 
So. Well, thank you. And again, thank you just for that great um, overview with your background. Um, again, just that that vibe and the the vision of the things that I've seen you post and communicate. And the first, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes of our talk here. <laughs> excited. I'm excited to see where we go next. But um, the, the entire conversation about failure is a great segue for our next question for you, mm-hmm. Lori, because um, now I would love if you could take us back on a journey to a point in your career that you would call your best moment of failure. We'd love if you can share with us that story, what was going mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. but most importantly, tell us the major lessons learned that you gained from that. Well, as I said a few minutes ago, I, I had a, a, my share of failures over the years. Um, You know, the most impactful and poignant one um, happened about 12 years ago, honestly. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. I remember where I was standing and what I was wearing 12 years ago. And um, I was a chief nursing officer at an academic medical center. And, you know, big hospital um, uh, responsible for about 3,000 nursing. Um, and as chief nurse, you collaborate with the chief quality officer. This was an academic medical center, so department chairs. Um, and I, we had been going through um, two patient safety events, significant patient safety events, two that had occurred in the last eight weeks. And one Sunday afternoon, my cell phone rang. It was one of the department chairs of the busiest service line. And she called me to tell me that we had a third in that same service line and the patient didn't make it. And it brought me to my knees. Now, as an experienced hospital executive and nurse leader, I don't, I'm just going to be vulnerable here, Jarvis. You would imagine that maybe tears wouldn't have come to my eyes. I would I was in my own apartment, so that's okay. Tears came to my eyes. And I lost a little composure that Sunday afternoon. I was devastated by a third event in such a short amount of time. And, you know, she told me everything that happened. I, I went directly to the hospital to support the staff, to get more information, and to start to process the situation and see how we could support the um, family. And the next week that unfolded was um, uh, career changing for me, I would say, because of the lessons that I learned. But quite frankly, my colleague, the physician department chair, and I, we were attached at the hip that week. And we sat down in her office one afternoon and she said, Lori, I'm going to say something to you that you might think sounds very cold right now. And I said, we had a great relationship, very transparent with each other. And I said, just, just tell me, she said, there is going to be a silver lining out of this event, out of this cluster of events, there is a silver lining. And I had a little trouble seeing it that day. But as the days and the weeks unfolded, she and I took the opportunity to develop a plan that was going to redesign the hospital side of this service line. And then she would work on the school side, the faculty side. And we put it on paper together as a team and went to the CEO of the organization. Because of course, when you're redesigning and you're building and you're being, first of all, it's risky because you're highlighting the things that now are revealed were substandard or opportunity improvement, and you're gonna ask for money. And we went together and we asked for, at the time, you know, it, it still is a lot. It was a couple million dollars. And um, what I learned at that time was critical for leaders. Anybody who's listening to one of the jobs of a leader is to seek opportunity and adversity. And I would have never thought or been had my wits about me at the time. I guess I just hadn't had the experience enough um, back then to know that on my own, but she taught me seek opportunities in adversity and um, collaborate with colleagues and partners. She could have gone and asked for money. Uh, She could have gone and asked to, to work on her side of the things and I could have done the same, but we did it together in a unified voice and it showed, it showed a deep partnership and a deep commitment to the delivery of exemplary care. Because if you don't have the right team about you, it's, it's never going to work. It's never going to work. And um, 
What it also taught me was the character of the CEO that we went to. Because, you know, I'm sure you would imagine the heightened anxiety, the pressure, the politics, the bureaucracy surrounding this situation, right? Um, And he sat there and he listened and he responded first with his compassion. And he said, I, I can't imagine what you all have been going through. How are you doing? Not how is the department doing? How are you doing? And how is the staff doing? And then we got to business and he approved everything. And it just taught me that, again, back to our first few minutes, um, behavior matters. And I, he still, I admire him greatly. I follow him on LinkedIn. And it just, the whole, the whole experience was of extraordinary value. Thank you for, thank you for reliving that moment. Um, even 12 years ago, I, I was kind of watching the, the emotions on your face, mm-hmm. even as you told that. So um, I can see that that was hugely, hugely impactful. And um, Lori, as we kind of move off of that question, I guess I would like to ask what, were some of the change management approaches that you all may have also kind of gone through in that moment? Because to your point, I mean, redesigning hospital um, processes and policies, culture, and realigning the medicine side and the education side. I've worked at a couple of different academic healthcare centers myself. I mean, you all are, it could take a career to make some of those changes. And many ways. Um, Just curious, what was that change management piece like as you also went through Mm -hmm. that experience? Well, that is that is a fantastic question. And Jarvis, if you ever ask me back, we could do like a whole podcast on change management. It's one of my favorite topics. Um, As boring as that might sound, it's one of my favorites. But I will tell you, you are spot. Say that again, Jarvis. I'm sorry. I'll take you up on that. Okay. (laughs) Topics as well. So we'll, we'll Your your comment is spot on, like how complex, massive change like that is, especially in a, a big system or a big academic medical center. But change change is complex for anyone uh, or any group that's going through it. And I think that, you know, the first step in change management is always creating urgency. Like, why is this important to do? We were fortunate that we literally, we had a burning platform. You know, everybody was aware, everybody was impacted. So we kind of had that first step given to us. But one of the next phases is to develop your team, right? So that you you can go forward, not alone, just as a leader. If my physician partner and I just said, we're going to go do this and and just give people instruction, it would have never worked. So we really were very intentional and deliberate about forming an interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary team, the right people who could bring their perspective and their voice um, to the task force, to the table, so that as we enabled others, our entire teams, I mean, we probably had involved in this massive change. I mean, there had to be at least 50 people. I don't remember the exact number, but that number of people have to be led by the right people and they have to be organized in the right way. So that whole team, team um, who constitutes the right people on the team and the way they're organized, so governance was critical to us. And then celebrating. We didn't want to celebrate Jarvis very much. It was a really sobering time. And we made sure to build in the um, small wins. And my team usually has to remind me about small wins. I'm, I'm not good at it. Like I want to get to the finish line and then give me another thing and I'll, I'm going to go toward that. And it's human nature to want and need to celebrate. And I've learned, thankfully, from my team members to, you know, say, let's slow down a little bit. When's the party? Who can we recognize? Look, we did this much. We did 10% better than last week. Let's celebrate. Wonderful. I love um, all of those additional insights. And again, that was my takeaway as you were telling the story is that to make the shift needed to impact the process and the culture, um, Mm -hmm. it was a huge undertaking. So Lori, I thank you for that entire story. (laughs) I am going to 
move us to the next question, kind of dig us up out of the, the dark place right there. But um, Lori, for this next question, I would love if you can share with our quality people a tip, tool, or tactic that you found work really well for building up the intimate connections within the teams that you've led. Um, share with us what it is and how do you apply it? Well, you know, um, I'm a big fan of visibility, right? So when I, I was fortunate enough, when I was at my um, most recent um, organization, Kaiser Permanente, um, I was hip to hip with the um, vice president for quality. She and I um, partnered and the chief medical officer, we partnered together the three of us. So we had really a triad, but the VP and quality of quality and I worked um, the closest together. And we believed very strongly in supporting each and every one of the quality improvements. So I don't want to make it sound too simple, but we showed up. We, we, we divvied up the teams and one of us was a member of each one of the improvements. I want to say we had we were focusing a lot on hospital-acquired infections at the time. So um, I used to be a standing member of the CLABSI team. And um, I have a long, sordid history with Central Lines, Jarvis. I used to um, do that clinically <laughs> back in the day. So, um, you know, being an executive and showing up at a committee where you're sitting shoulder to shoulder with frontline staff, we designed the teams to include frontline caregivers. We designed the teams to include managers who could influence the process, um, environmental services, unit ward secretary, and my mo uh, and always a physician leader and nurse leader, always, because we wanted to keep that dyad or triad partners. And we made sure we had, if we could, had the resources that there was a um, data specialist and a quality leader. But my favorite piece of showing up to them was listening to the patient or the family because they were embedded in. So showing up makes it sound simple, but you were there, you cared, you supported the team, and you were able to remove the barrier in real time. So I, I, I love what you shared there because, Lori, I'll say, unfortunately, as a person who's built his entire career off of doing quality process improvement yeah. projects, um, showing up is not always as easy as you're making it sound. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, every project almost always has a, a very respected executive sponsor. Mm -hmm. But I want to kind of draw the line. So being a sponsor and never showing up is totally different than showing up. And some of my best project experiences, Lori, are the ones where I have my sponsors or my executives in the meeting you know, doing the process maps, listening to all the feedback that's produced, helping us brainstorm solutions and, you know, signing off on the ideas that the project teams come up with. If they are right there, a part of that experience, it's a totally different experience. So I, I want to give you just a, a tremendous amount of kudos to you and your, your other executive leaders that you partner with on that. But that's something I'll, I'll call it out, um, especially for our, our listeners of the podcast here. Um, get more executives on board. Um, if you're an executive, show up to those project meetings and within the project work and sit next to your data analyst while they're pulling the data and see what's going on in, in the details, uh, it makes a huge difference. So I, I just want to give you a lot of kudos for that. that that's well, actually well, thank you for that. And I would encourage everyone, you're making me smile because you've made me think of our chief compliance officer. And maybe not everybody smiles when they think of their chief compliance officer. But our vision, our vision for embedding executives on each team, it grew outside of clinical leaders. And our chief compliance officer sat on the falls reduction committee. And mm -hmm. she, along with the nurse leader, they transformed the committee and the falls reduced dramatically. I can't recall the exact percentage, but it was so big we became an exemplar for the region. And she, uh, she was amazing. Chief compliance officer. Oh, and the CFO was on the CAUTI committee. Just saying. <laughs> I, I could see a chief compliance officer being all over once they understand yes. what's going on and risk factors that are coming. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's tremendous. I love it. Um, next question I have for you, Laurie. Would love if you could take us on 
one of the best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare leader. But again, share with us that story. How did the idea strike you? And definitely, if you were able to turn it into a personal or a professional success. You know, when you are, um, you go throughout your career, you learn what to do and you learn what not to do from others, right? And um, I learned over the years the value, and you could hear it just in my last story, the value of leadership presence with the front line. I learned that early on. So when I became a chief nursing officer of a very big hospital, um, about a thousand beds, um, you know, and as you said, you know, your schedule is busy, it's hard to do that show up, right? and visibility is so critical, it'll make or break a leader, that I had to hardwire it. But I knew it wasn't just important for me, it was important for my leadership. So now I had probably 10 direct reports, I wanna say 75, the numbers I had, um, assistant managers, right? So if we could all be visible, then staff engagement we would be doing better in staff engagement and it would help us make better decisions as leaders. So I took that whole visibility premise and turned it into what I originally called Frontline Fridays. Frontline Fridays. All of my team, we all agreed we would don scrubs on Fridays and spend two to four hours with teams. So I was shoulder to shoulder with bedside nurse, right? And I say I originally called it Frontline Fridays because I like that both words started with Fs, right? It kind of rolls off your tongue. Um, I think, is that an alliteration? I think they say, I like that. Anyway, um, I was with a nurse and she said, you know, Lori, I don't think you should call it Frontline Fridays. I think you should call it Bedside Friday because it means a lot to us that you are at the bedside with us. And you're at the bedside with the patient and their family. And, I, you know, I just, that melted my heart. So at two organizations over a 10-year period, I implemented Bedside Fridays with my, and um, it just, it's just an amazing experience. And as an executive leader, the temptation or the real life day-to-day -day struggle of your calendar and being a pulled away from truly what you're trying to lead, you have to you have to do something deliberate to avoid that. So, um, Bedside Fridays was born. It was an amazing um, program to implement, and it 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 just taught every leader involved the value of presence and the value of talking and looking in the eyeballs of your staff and your. So I I will say first, I think Frontline Fridays can be marketed or branded a little bit better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Day of week that starts with a B for bedside. <laughs> but um, You're right. I, I absolutely, again, I love that idea. Um, Laura, I, I'll share with you quickly. I had this experience um, at one point in my career. I had the opportunity to fill in as an interim ED director um, for about five or six months. And in that role, I had the chance to report directly up to the CEO. And, you know, this was my first time moving into an operations leadership out of my normal quality process improvement roles that I've always been in. And the first thing I realized was that I will, you know, I went from like having just a couple hours worth of meeting to like having eight to 10 hours worth of meetings every day. And I didn't have a chance to get into the department and be with wow. my staff and so forth. Um, so I just, you know, took it upon myself to say, I'm not going to meetings. And I talked it over with my CEO at the time and said, you got three hours. I will give you three hours of my day where I'll go to meetings. But the rest of that time, That's the other awesome. four or five hours or whatever in the department. And within about a four month period, we went from having some of the worst patient SAT scores to having the best patient SAT scores ever achieved in the organization ah. in that short period of time. Yeah. And when folks were like, what are you doing? I was like, nothing. I'm just being in the department. I'm there. I'm working with them. And I, I'm an engineer by background, Lori. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much useless, yeah. but I can be there. I can, I can buy lunch from time to time. You know, it was just being there, hearing them, talking them off the ledge when they were stressed out because it was an emergency right. department. And so, um, yeah, short, short amount of time, but it, to your point, it was just wow. being there and be supportive. Uh, my own version, yeah, my own version of Frontline Fridays, I guess. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> See, we're we're of like mind. But kudos to you, <laughs> Jarvis. That's 
that's leadership what you did. You took the initiative. You knew it was the right thing. You knew what they needed and you went to your CEO. And I would encourage everybody listening, go to your direct boss, go to the CEO. The worst they can say is no, the worst. And I would also encourage you, you know, maybe you're in, a, in an environment where you don't have to ask, right? Right? So that's kudos to you. Oh, thank you. But um, no, but it's still that, that mindset of just being there for the front line. So mm-hmm. front line Fridays or bedside Fridays, <laughs> I think that's going to be pretty far. I, I can see myself throwing a hashtag behind that when we post the show for you, Lori. Okay. Well, I'm going to call you up when I try to brand it there, Jarvis. Okay. Got it. You got it. Um, next question I have for you, Lori. I'm really interested to see what you share on this one, but what are some of the changes going on across the healthcare industry today that you're personally excited about? And what role do you see quality professionals in? I'll slip this one in too, but even nursing leaders, mm-hmm. uh, what role are them playing to either promote or support this longevity? Well, I, you know, there's so much happening right now um, in healthcare as a result of the pandemic, so much. And I'm going to say something, I don't know, I think months ago, when I started saying it, it was a little bit more um, provocative. I think it is the most exciting time to be in healthcare. Exciting, the most exciting time. And, you know, we're in a very challenging time. I'm calling it the crucible for us. We're under this intense stress and intense um, but what is happening in healthcare is dramatic innovation, dramatic. Things are changing quickly. And honestly, um, you know, being guilty of a nurse, being a nurse leader for so long, I, I want to speak specifically to the quality leaders that are listening to us. You know, you all are expertly trained and improvement, expertly. Tra- you know, I spend a lot of my time trying to um add guidance or education to nurse leaders that haven't had that opportunity, but you all in quality are in a pivotal role and a unique role that you're, you're experts trained at that. And you have an opportunity to leverage the current environment. And, you know, there's so much that's being um, highlighted that's wrong in healthcare right now. Wrong. We see every day on our news and in the media, the lack of resources, the lack of standardization, broken process. But I am going to say that um, all of those problems were there. They're not new. They're not new. They're only dramatically amplified. And it's going to take all of us as healthcare leaders to, um, to really transform. We cannot go back. And I think about our conversation a few minutes ago, Jarvis, about I'm seeing, we're all seeing in healthcare that the pace of the pace of change is much faster now. You're seeing innovation, you're seeing new care delivery models, you're seeing new, you're seeing new entities trying to to um, come together to affect this um, uh, COVID-19 and and keep everybody safe and healthy. I really hope that the pace of change doesn't go back to the way it was. That's one thing I don't want to go back to. And I think that you all, especially quality leaders, have the opportunity skills to leverage them. Step out into something new. Take a leap. Don't be afraid of failing. Don't think you're not good enough or not qualified enough. Because I'm, I'm, I'm serious here. I'm here to tell you the worst thing you can do is shy away from something because you just think you're not good enough or someone else has better or has more has more of you. no it's you all right so Lori, if i stopped the podcast at this point it would be worth it just <laughs> that, that was hands down one of the best um call to action i think for our community of quality people that plug in with this so um thank you i love that and, um, I, I love you for it. that's that's the <laughs> message thank you yeah, all of our professionals need to hear that. I mean, I, I literally was kind of having like goosebumps. That's that's the message. That's the inspiration that I want to bring on this podcast. So thank you. for. Um, and let me kind of turn the question around a little bit with this next one. But Lori, are there things that the healthcare industry itself can do to become a more attractive place for quality people to bring their best selves to, you know, jump in and start their careers or grow their careers? I, I'm 
You know, I fear a little bit. I think uh, right now, I'm a little afraid. I want to be so optimistic and so I'm a little afraid about the images of frontline healthcare workers that are coming across all of our screens, right? Um, tired, fatigue, exhaustion, uh, redness and sores from math, um, some picketing because they don't have enough resources. They're all real images. And I fear that it's going to steer some really smart, good, younger generation people or even second career people away from health. I fear that. Um, however, what I I think that if I know that if our healthcare in focuses on uh, the long game, the long-term strategy and invest significant mental health and emotional well-being, it's going to make a dramatic difference. And I don't mean just for the long term. We need it now. I think that's actually, back to my earlier comments, that's one of the silver lines of COVID-19 is that mental health and well-being is on the front page, right? It's the stigma is is evaporating quickly. And, you know, there was a lot of burnout in healthcare before COVID. Now it's just been exaggerated exponentially. So, so I think that healthcare, we need to, we need to focus, we need to fund, we need to kind of re-establish um, our thinking, our policies, our procedures, our department on mental health and well-being for the long haul. Wonderful. And I'm starting to see a lot of that, <clears throat> excuse me, with uh, a number of resilience programs that are popping up all over the place. But to your point, I mean, the the mental stress and struggles, I, they were there before the pandemic and yep. absolutely wearing everyone thin now. Um, and I like your point, too, about those images scaring some talented, quality people, yep. healthcare professionals away. So I, I appreciate I, that call. And That's Jarvis, I I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, I talk to a lot of nurses every week. I talk to a lot of nurse leaders and I hear um, disengagement, some disengagement and, and people feeling um, disenfranchised. And I think that healthcare, in addition to mental health and well-being, needs to also reframe engagement. What does employee engagement look like? And it's not a one size fits all. It's not. It's about knowing what your people value. It's about connecting with them across generations. Many of us in healthcare have four or five generations that we're responsible for. And each each generation reacts and learns and and performs differently. And so I think re uh, engagement needs to be um, reevaluated and re defined. Perfectly, perfectly said. And, and, you know, it's scary. So many great insights shared. Um, Lori, I'm going to transition us into the next part. We're like right there, kind of at the halfway point of our conversation. I hope it's okay. I'm, uh, I love to keep you for a few more minutes. I know I'm gonna go over my hour with you. Sure. But uh, all right. No, thank you for that. Um, before I kind of move us into what I call our two minute drill, this is my take on a rapid fire Q&A. Just want to see how you're feeling. If you're ready to rock and roll on this next um, rapid fire session I have for you. Well, I am ready, I think. It's a little scary when you say <laughs> rapid fire, but I'm going to do my best. I'm having fun. That's all right, because I, I know you are not scared to fail. So I know you're going to get <laughs> You're going to <laughs> All right, Lori, for this next question that I have for you, it is something of a two-parter where I would love if you could tell our quality people something about the work that you're currently doing that inspires you to do your best. And then also share with us, how do you inspire others that you connect with? Well, my in Inspire Nurse Leaders, we focus on consulting, growing nursing leadership teams to improve outcomes. So if you have an infection problem, we have experts, we can do that patient satisfaction, we can do that. But I've also grown a, a team and me personally have grown, grown into coaching one-on-one. -on -one. And for me, that one-on-one -on -one leadership coaching has, um, it's just touched me in a way that I never expected. You know, as a, a senior hospital leader or a chief nursing officer, you coach your direct reports and you try to inspire larger teams. But one-on-one -on -one coaching is very different. It's very personal, it's, it's challenging, 
And it is more rewarding than I ever, ever knew to know that you are contributing and responsible for someone's growth and development in that one-on-one situation. Um, you know, for me right now, it doesn't get better than that. And knowing, sorry, I have one more thing to say. I almost forgot. So you're helping that one person and you know that if you do your job well as a leadership coach, that that person is going to be stronger and better and able to support their team. So you're, you're multiplying your influence. And that is very, very motivating to me. Very, very. That's, that's very much kind of the path I was going to go down. Um, Since I've started my coaching company uh, as well, Lori, I've had similar experiences and I know I'm just coaching on quality and process improvement, but the chance to take that one person or the small teams that I coach through and to help them find success to improve their organization, knowing that those improvements multiply. I mean, you can't even calculate it past that. No. Um, I can resonate with everything you just shared there. So thank you. I, I love that connection and keep keep up the amazing work. So thank you. Perfect. Um, next, uh, next question I have for you, Lori, what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Oh. <laughs> okay. Best piece of career advice. Um, this, I'm going to tell you a quick little story and it's going to sound simple but it made a big difference to me. Believe it or not, it happened about 20 years ago, a long time ago. And it was, I was very early on in my leadership career and I kept getting invitations to join a committee that was looking at ancillary staff. So adding non-clinical, non-licensed personnel to hospitals, to the hospital unit. And I, I thought I was all that. Jarvis. I was the manager of a really big neonatal intensive care unit, the biggest department in the hospital. I had the most staff. I was all that. I wasn't going to be using unlicensed personnel. I'm not answering. Well, I must have gotten three or four of them and I didn't answer any of them. And so don't do that anymore. Um, But so one day my boss knocked on the door unexpectedly, came in the office, sat down right in front of me, was behind my desk, sitting at my desk. I said, Lori, have you been getting those invitations to the committee for unlicensed personnel? I said, yes, but I, I, it doesn't apply to my department. And I'm very busy. You know that. We're understaffed, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I'm not going. She said, are you sure about that? So I didn't respond because I kind of knew something was coming. And she said, you know, Lori, we needed good people on that. And I am the one who submitted your name to be on that. She said, as a leader, I want you to understand that shout, whether things uh, directly affect you or not, they affect colleagues. And through that committee, you're going to be able to add your voice. You're going to meet new people. You're going to increase your um, partnerships and collaboration and down the, you will need the experience of that down the line you will need unlike don't just look at what you're currently involved in think about think more strategically is what you and damn jarvis i went to that next committee meeting and was on it for four months <laughs> lesson learned right <laughs> well it was a lesson learned about first of all i was being a little bit uh, narrow-minded or um, um, narrow focus on just my own stuff. And as a leader, your ability to have colleagues and to partner and to scale what you're doing and to learn something new is really, really critical. And I, I learned it that day. No, I appreciate appreciate the context behind that that advice given. Yeah, that that's good advice that I think is going to go a long way. It, it definitely resonates with a few examples in my head too. Um, but this is this is your rapid fire, so I better get back on the butt. Okay, <laughs> and I better answer more quickly. Okay. No, no, that was a great rapid fire um, story. If that's the thing. <laughs> Fire stories. Um, next question I have for you, Lori, and I, I guess I'm going to juggle this question around just a little bit, but if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, but you're you're still up and running with your business. So yeah. um, let me let me kind of juggle this question around. But as a new or, you know, and as an advancing, a growing um, entrepreneur, what I've learned and the work that I'm doing is that I'm wearing multiple hats. You know, it was easy to just think that I'd be a coach or a trainer or a teacher. And now I am learning how to be a 
copywriter and a web designer. And it took me almost two weeks to get my printer in my office working. So I'm my <laughs> IT person. Um, what's been your favorite hat to wear as an entrepreneur, as you're, you know, building your business and figuring things out? Is there one thing you like more than the next? Well, um, it all scares me. So let's be clear, Jarvis. It all scares me. Um, I think what I've been really enjoying, two things. One is social media. I've always been um, active on social media, uh, on LinkedIn. You know, reading, I, I have a lot of, you know, connections like we all do. And I love seeing what my peers are up to and learning from them. But being more deliberate and more active in terms of my posts and the quality of my posts and then responding to either the messages or the comments. And I've gotten a lot of, um, my network has just grown. Let me say that in that um, it's grown in number, but also um, it's broader. So I'm going from healthcare leadership to a, um, it's still my um, main audience, but to broader leadership. And I'm just, it's opened up a new world and I'm learning so much from others. So I've been enjoying that a lot. Um, the other piece, and I don't know if this is a, the right answer to your question, but since I've been um, transitioned to entrepreneur, I've been doing a, a, a more frequent keynote presentation. So whether it's a keynote or a webinar and um, engaging virtually via chats, I've done you know probably 10 in the last six months on different platforms. And just that engagement, um, it's hard. It's hard to keep people engaged virtually on a webinar. But once you kind of kind of learn your way around it, it is, it's been fantastic. And what I'm finding is longer term connections with people than if you're in a big conference center with 500 people. And that's been great. Wonderful. That That's exciting to hear on both of those. And I, I can relate again to what we're going through. It, it's interesting when you go out, go out on this path. And again, for any of our audience folks who are kind of thinking about some of these different decisions, um, but you immediately go from being a social media content consumer to being mm-hmm. a creator, like almost overnight. Like I, I don't look at Facebook the same anymore. I'm thinking about how can I contribute to a post on LinkedIn or Facebook or anything, or how can I add value? Or when I post stuff, similar mindset, um, I'm trying to reply to everybody's reply. And so it, it's building a lot deeper relationships. That's that's my biggest lessons learned from this entrepreneur path. Um, and it's very stressful. The social media stress is, is tough. <laughs> a, a whole new world, to say the least. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, let me get back on my script. I, I tell you, Lori, I could probably talk to you all night. So let me try not. <laughs> um, next question I have for you, Lori, could you please share a personal uh, habit that contributes to your success when leading um, the improvement teams or even the nursing teams from your corporate lifestyle? But any any personal habits that led to a lot of the success that you achieved through your career? Um, personal habit when leading teams is um, being authentic. I don't know if if that's the the answer you might be expecting, but when I'm leading teams, the one-to-one connection, and I'll take the one-to-one meeting, that is sacred on my calendar with my team, sacred. And I'm very deliberate about the one-on-one meeting. It's not just about outcomes. Yes, I'm very structured, and when I meet, I want to know, um, your metrics, whatever you're responsible for, but we don't see that. We start showing up. We start with, how are you doing? And, and I think it's vitally important as, as any one of us leads other people, making that human connection is, is it's really where you start from. Um, and that's, that's my deliberate, intentional daily habit with the people I work with. You know, I'm a big, we haven't talked much. I am a student of the Leadership Challenge. It's a, a book written by Dr. Barry Posner and Jim Cousins. It's really a leadership operating system. And one of their five practices of exemplary leaders is encouraging the heart. And you cannot encourage someone's heart if you don't know them and you're not connected to them. So 
that's my habit. So I appreciate, well, I appreciate that reply and even the feedback on the leadership challenge. I've literally had that book like on my, um, <laughs> on my bookshelf. Oh, wow. But, uh, it's been there for a while and I haven't read it yet. So um, well, following this. You know, it's an easy read. It has a lot of case studies in it. So I encourage you. Wonderful. No, thank you for that. Um, next question I have for you, Lori. Uh, what is a go-to website or a mobile application that you use for executing on the work that you lead? Oh, one, only one. I can't answer that. Pass. Um, however, I will say, you know, I still, at the end of the day, when I'm movement work with my um, clients, it's IHI. I am a big fan of um, the Institute of Healthcare Improvement. There's lots of free stuff and you learn best practices from everyone and they keep the website as relevant as possible. With that said, as healthcare leaders, it is vital that we check the evidence. So as boring as this sounds, I am pretty deliberate about going to my online access of uh, healthcare journals and doing frequent lit searches. Um, so that sounds totally boring. IHI and 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 darn uh, electronic database for for healthcare journals because we have we're responsible for important work and we have to stay on top of our practice. I was going to say it's a good thing you are on the right podcast for improvement geeks. <laughs> yeah, so, good. And we love it. Um and that that lends well even into the next question. So um Lori is there a uh, professional society and a professional conference that you could share that you feel is of value at? Well, I you know, I'm a big fan of the IHI. That's probably one of two of the best conferences that I typically attend. And I don't know how the IHI does it. They're extremely um, inspiring. And, you know, I don't want to date myself, but when I was earlier on in my career, Don Berwick was more upfront and um, I don't want to say active. He's still, you know, the, the um, you know, one of the co-founders and his words to this day are relevant, relevant, no matter, he's a visionary. And so that's always inspired me to um, keep going back to IHI. Um, for my nurse colleagues that are out there, um, 10 years ago when I was a CNO of a magnet organization, I did not want to go to the magnet conference. As blasphemous as that sounds, I did not want to go to the magnet conference. But the magnet conference, for those of you that might not be aware, the magnet credential, most everyone probably knows this, but is the elite credential a hospital can um, attain and it's reflective of excellence in nursing practice. It's a hospital credential, but it's reflective of excellence in nursing practice. And this annual conference has 10,000 people at it. And I just, after all these conferences, after all these years, 10,000 people are, anyway. Long story short, it is one of the best, most engaging conference I have ever been to over and over, year after year. I don't know how they do it to keep it inspiring with such a gigantic audience, but when you're together with 10,000 like-minded people, it's pretty powerful. So I would say the ANCC Magnet Conference and the IHI. No, so both of those are two of my favorites. Um, the one time that I did go to Magnet, it felt chaotic because there are so many people, but the presentations were top of class. Yep, uh, and yep. the the one time that I've been to an IHI conference, uh, Dr. Ber Berwick did give a presentation, and I think I was in the crowd crying. Yeah. Because most, and you know, like you can relate. He he's a phenomenal storyteller. So he's um, he's amazing. You just gave me chills when you said you were crying. I got chills. So there you go. No, he he's amazing. Um, Next question, Lori. Uh, I would love if you could recommend a book to our audience of quality people. Um, share with us what it is and why it is a recommendation. Okay, well, that I just gave it away. Um, okay. You know, to the group on this on the podcast. You know, leadership is not a title, so I don't. I really um, have no desire what role you're in, what your actual title is, because if you're listening to this 
podcast, you're a leader and you want to make. So I, I strongly recommend the leadership challenge by Dr. Barry Posner and Jim Cousins, the, the sixth edition and the subtitle of the book, the operating system that they have researched for 40 years, the leadership challenge. It's the subtitle is how to make extraordinary things happen. And the work that everyone does that's listening is called it's you get to make extraordinary things happen in people's lives. And this book um, is the result of nearly 40 years of research, millions of data points. It's very, that's why you guys will like this so much because it's very data driven and very evidence based. And through um, uh, hundreds of thousands of surveys, of people who've achieved the highest level or achieved their goal. You don't have to be a CEO to be studied by Dr. Barry Posner and Jim Cousins. The, 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 the research reveals five practices that demonstrate, excuse me, that exemplary leaders demonstrate five practices. And they are, I'm gonna tell you the five, this is why you have to read them. Model the way, inspire a shared vision, enable others to act, challenge the process and encourage the heart. Those five practices. If you get those five practices down, you're going to make even more extraordinary happen. It's a great, great book. Well, I've already told on myself that I own it and I just haven't cracked the seal on it yet. And after that recommendation, um, I have no choice. So by the time you release this show, Lori, it is on me to have um, read it and given a nice summary um, to, to the recommendations that you just shared there. Fantastic. So I'm, I'm going to check up on you, Jarvis. <laughs> Hold me accountable. Um, Lori, we are right there. Very last question of our entire interview. Um, but got to give you the heads up. This is a personal favorite because I'm going to try to get you to reflect on your past while you look forward to your future. So let's say that you are able to send one text message to yourself 10 years into the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a few seconds and think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? This one's really hard, Jarvis. Um, a text message 10 years of, to, to Lori 10 years ago, I honestly would say be present, be present. Um, I, I'm guilty of um, doing too many things at once. And I regret missing the beauty of whatever I was involved in or whoever I was with. So I would tell 10 years ago, Lori, to be present. Right. Now, nice. the 10 years from now, Lori, this one actually was the hardest for me. It really, I, it's really hard. And, but I, what I would say, Jarvis, is well done. For those of you that, um, you know, have a faith, there's a, a verse, well done, good and faithful servant. For this, my message to 10 years from now is well done. And when I say well done, I mean well done with the looking back, you did what you were supposed to do. You did what you were called to do and you were there to support other leaders and grow other leaders. That means a lot so, to me. I So both of those messages, Lori, um, very well-spoken. And I'm, I'm sitting here trying to imagine just 10 years from now, the impact that you're going to have on so many different leaders, um, you know, that that tree that starts to blossom, right? You know, you're extending your branches in a lot of different ways, and you're going to be growing leaders who will then be growing leaders who will be growing leaders, that multiplying mm. effect that we already talked about. Um, so I, I have to double down on your well done 10 years from now. <laughs> Well, in this podcast is still around and I could bring you back and we could talk about all of the amazing contributions that you've brought to so many different leaders lives. But um, if for nothing else, I have to start with just simply thank you for tonight and the uh, impact and the influence that you're going to have on our audience as we get this show pushed out into the podcast universe. But um, Lori, before I let you go, we're going to kind of wrap up here, but before I let you go, I would love if you could share just a parting piece of advice um, to our audience, share with them the best way that they can connect with you or follow you on social media, and then we'll officially sign off. My best, my, my parting words are, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Take that step. Don't let anybody hold you. Um, we need to transform healthcare and you people are the ones to do it. 
I mean that. Um, I would love to connect with whoever's listening. And the best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. So um, Lori Armstrong, RN, DNP, Inspire Nurse Leaders. I also invite you to visit my website, inspirenurseleaders.com. Love to meet you and get to know you. Um, Lori, thank you so much again just for, for the inspiration, hence Inspire Nurse Leaders. Um, thank you for all of the knowledge share, the great stories, the vision that you're sharing for all of our quality people just to get out there and make a contribution to make a difference um, to our audience, our quality people everywhere. Thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Lori, and we're signing off. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.